Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Hello and welcome back into another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, and with me, as always, from GamecockCentral.com, Colin Taylor. Boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to get to. It doesn't seem like over the course of a basketball season we necessarily get a lot of breaking news. It's just a lot of, here's what happened in the last game, here's what might happen in the upcoming game. But for the first time, really, since SEC play started, South Carolina has some news, and it's not particularly good news. And we will just go ahead and start with that before we get into South Carolina's 76-54 win over Missouri and their chances against Ole Miss on Wednesday night. Justin and I got injured in this 22-point win against Missouri. It was his thumb. It was a shooting thumb, if I remember correctly. I'm yes. just like picturing him running down the court with his thumb wrapped up. The one, I guess, reason to be optimistic if you're a South Carolina fan about the injury is that he did, in fact, go back into the game. He didn't have a super duper game only had uh, six points but he had six rebounds I don't know how many of his statistics were accrued after the injury occurred but he was at least in the game played 29 minutes Frank Martin said in his Monday press conference that they are currently evaluating it and trying to decide whether or not it's something that will in fact need surgery we're recording this on Tuesday morning so I don't know if you have an update on that or if, if you were reading between the lines of the press conference yesterday and have a feeling whether or not Justin Minaya might have to shut it down for the rest of the season um no incredibly updated information yet uh but the way frank martin talked it did not sound optimistic it was very he was he had to correct himself one time he said justin Manaya was playing very well and he goes no no no, he is playing very well so mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those yeah you know <laughs> rest in peace justin Manaya. yes <laughs> um it needs surgery frank martin said that mm-hmm. now it's just a matter of can they hold off surgery until the end of the season mm-hmm. um he said if it was a football player alignment, they would just club it up and go play. But in basketball, the hands are kind of important. So <laughs> yeah. you need those. Um, so it did not sound very optimistic. Um, they will know more over the course of today. We're recording this. It is currently 9.09 a.m. Um, we'll know more as the day goes on and as they get ready to go down to Ole Miss. Do we know exactly what the thumb injury is? He said it popped out, and they had to pop it back in, and that can come with a bunch of different problems. Maybe, you know, I don't know for sure. Frank Martin didn't go into too many insanely detailed responses there, but a muscle could have been torn, strained, something along those lines, or they just needed to use surgery to repair the the joint or whatever. There's a lot of things that could be happening. I feel like when things travel places in your body, they're not supposed to go. There's, like, oftentimes some ligament damage and things like that. Uh, this is really not good for South Carolina. Now, again, jury's still out whether or not it'll just be like pain management. Can he play through it? Thing like Things like that, which would be best case scenario for South Carolina. Probably still not great. And obviously, if he misses 
any extended period. If he misses any extended period, it's going to be the rest of the season. I don't think there's any situation where he misses like a month and then comes back. Because if he misses time, it's going to be because he has surgery, right? Yeah, and I Googled thumb surgery yesterday. <laughs> um, <laughs> spent, spent about 15 minutes just Googling thumb surgery. The hard-hitting research we do yeah, for this um, podcast. The things that I have to do for like research, you don't really think about. Um, but I Googled it, and I was kind of reading up on just the prognosis. Thumb surgery, the, the one I found that seemed pretty in-depth was four weeks in a cast. And then, like, I think it's a four-week recovery after that, four- to eight-week recovery after that. Um, could be shortened, obviously, with a athletic training mm-hmm. regimen to it that right. was for normal people. This is above average, above normal people. But on that timeline, he's back just in time for April Madness. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those <laughs> things where it's like, could it be pushing to make it so that he's back for a conference tournament or a potentially an NIT or NCAA tournament? Would it surprise me? No, but realistically thinking, if he has surgery and shuts it down, I think it's shutting down for the season. So I was trying not to overreact yesterday on my local show just in terms of the impact here, and I said it was number two, and I even split one into 1A and 1B and said A.J. Lawson and Mike Kozar would both probably, even though A.J.'s not had a great season and has been playing better lately, I feel like the upside that he brings... And, you know, the, the fact that he can get going at any given time. And even when he's not playing well, he's still, you know, going for 13, 15 points, whatever. I feel like AJ and Mike may be more important, but is, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you think this is more impactful. I think this is no worse than the third worst loss, or no better than the third worst loss for South Carolina. It might be the second most important player that South Carolina could have lost. Yes. Um, I think I did the math yesterday in, He's top three in SEC play, just in conference games, in minutes per game, steals, blocks, um, point or not points, um, like two point percentage. I mean, he just he leads. He he's so good at so many different things. He's not the best at anything outside of perimeter defense, but I mean, he's really good at just about everything, mm-hmm. and he's your best perimeter defender. Um, he's been playing really well at the four. This is a guy that you didn't want to lose because he is so good, and he's been a mainstay in that. He, he stepped on campus and was the day one starter and has started every game that he wasn't hurt. So, Justin you, Elmer's Manaya. Yeah, that's how I've been guy, talking man. about him ever he, since the Kentucky guy. game. And you can't you can't lose your glue guy. Glue usually holds things together, and when you <laughs> when lose you don't the, have glue, it, it tends to fall apart. Now <laughs> I'm not saying that's going to happen, but. South Carolina is going to need a guy to step up. And if Justin and I can't go, obviously, and they need a guy like a Keyshawn, like a Wildens or Jalen to go out there and, and play and play well and be consistent. And right now the consistency is not necessarily a strong suit for those guys at this point. The bracketology for South Carolina is not super favorable at this point, And nope. I don't overly pay attention to that, to that stuff until – you know, usually kind of uh, the end of February, middle of February, stuff like that. So I'm not freaking out about it at this point, nor should you be if you're a Carolina fan. But people that are saying Carolina is not going to make the tournament might be right for the wrong reasons because they're playing well. The momentum is really trending in the right direction, and we're going to you know get to that as we get to this Missouri game, which you know not a world-beating Missouri team that South Carolina. And beat. the schedule is very, very favorable. Right, and the schedule is favorable. You have like, I mean, what three more games that you're going to be a comfortable underdog that's probably both Mississippi State games and LSU 
You'll probably be an underdog on the road against Alabama, but that's not a, a game that Carolina can't win. No. Although that is one of only two places in the SEC Frank Martin has not won a basketball game. You mentioned that earlier, I guess, uh, right before the Arkansas road trip, which is such a random... Yeah. I mean, I guess they've only played there probably, what, three or four it's times? It's there in Rupp. Okay. The only two places <laughs> in the SEC Frank Martin has not Rupp makes sense. Uh, not so much. I don't even know what Alabama's arena is called, so that's that's how surprising I think it might be it Alabama Coliseum. Alabama Coliseum. Yeah. There you go. Um, so there, there are a lot of things that are trending in the right direction for South Carolina. This would obviously be a huge step back. If Mania is out, obviously Carolina can go with a couple of different options. You mentioned uh, Wilden, Zavette, Keyshawn Bryant, guys that are going to need to step up. They both had knee injuries they were dealing with against Missouri. Yeah. Sounds like they're going to be good to go. Just you know, nothing, nothing significant there. Um, Keyshawn's already in the starting lineup. Do you think the first option would be to slot McCreary in at the four? I think it's going to depend on matchups. Just me thinking and spitballing. Because um, I said going into Auburn when you kind of got the feeling Keyshawn wasn't going to play okay, well, they're just going to move Justin back to the three and then um, put Mike at the five and Jalen at the four and let it roll. And they didn't because, and they put Wildens in there and moved Mike to the four and Mania back to the three because they had the matchup with Austin Wiley. So I think that it's going to be one of those situations where it could vary game to game. I wouldn't be shocked to see Wildens go in there and start against Ole Miss. I wouldn't be shocked if Jalen McCreary went in there. Um, Hell, I wouldn't be shocked to see a three-guard lineup, mm. you know? Um, With Jair or Trey? Or TJ? Oh, that's that's the part that I haven't decided yet. I, yeah. My guess would be Jair. Really? I, I guess. Like, I feel like as well as he's been playing off the bench, you wouldn't want to mess yeah, with that mojo. But that's the, see, I don't know. That's my thing. Is That's mm. why I think Weldon's is going to start. Yeah. Weldon's so or Jalen. And Frank loves starting with two bigs. Yeah, he loves, he, he, and that's back to traditional. This is the first year that he hasn't started with two bigs. Yeah, and that's, that's this traditional Frank Morton style of true point guard, good wing, good two-guard. Um, and then two traditional back-to-the-basket rebounding bigs, mm-hmm. rim protector bigs. He's lamented the fact that they haven't had a rim protector um, all season, really consistent rim protector at least, and so getting a Wildens in there helps you protect the rim. Um, yeah, who knows? Frank Martin mentioned Trey Anderson the other day. <laughs> yeah, He's a yeah. guy that practiced well and has a chance to play. So He's played twice in the last three games. No. Yeah. <laughs> played against, I mean, yeah. play against Missouri. Yeah, and the Texas A&M game. Got yeah, in there out right. of necessity. Right. Uh, right. So I think you could see a bunch of different things. I don't think this is going to be Keyshawn Bryant goes out there and fills, does his role and picks up the slack of the night. No. I think it's going to be a bunch of different guys combining. It's like the scene of Moneyball where he walks in and he's like, what was J- you know Johnny Damon's on-base percentage? Mm-hmm. And it's like 333. And it's like, well, we need to define X number of guys that hasn't collective on-base percentage of right three. It, it'll be similar to that. Yeah. Uh, and I guess for Keyshawn, it, it would see him slide down to the four, which is kind of crazy maybe, if, yeah. if they do go with the three-guard lineup. And, and to be yeah. clear, you mentioned Jair. That would also be my prediction. Like if, if Frank came out today and said, you know, we're going to roll with a three-guard lineup, while we you know try to figure this out, I also would think it was Jair because yeah. I don't think TJ or Trey is ready to start yet. But I, I'm with you where I, I think it's it's probably more likely and probably a better scenario if they put another traditional big just because I I don't know I I'm someone especially with basketball basketball is such a rhythm sport and yeah. I just I like what Jair has been doing off the bench um, even though he didn't have a particularly great game against Missouri just two of six but he seems more comfortable. In yeah, that role, and, and I don't want to mess that up. Sometimes when you're a player, you get a better feel for the game, mm-hmm. how fouls are going to get called, what teams are going to do on the bench. I mean, look at Frank Booker. Same way with him. 
Um, I never wanted him to move into the starting lineup. No, because he, <laughs> he did after like like seven games into him scoring twenty five points a game or whatever it was. But. Yeah. So Frank, some guys just feel better coming off the bench, and Jair might be that guy in the SEC. And so, um, I think you're more than likely going to see a traditional point guard, two guard, wing, two bigs lineup um, against Ole Miss. I would say we'll know for sure against Ole Miss, but like you said, I think it's also going to be really contingent on matchups. So that's something that could totally change. Game to game, but uh, Wildens and Jalen have both been playing better of late. Uh, we mentioned Wildens putting up that really impressive stat line, having uh, him, having fouled out in, yeah. in eight minutes, but also had you know eight points and five rebounds or whatever it was. On top of that, uh, didn't do a whole lot against Missouri. Uh, shot one of one from the field, 0 of two from the free throw line, added three rebounds to Wildens. Jalen McCreary, uh, zero points, didn't attempt a shot, only played six minutes, 0 of two from the charity stripe. Uh, actually, did not record a stat as I'm looking at it, other than two. Uh, missed free throws, which I had, didn't didn't but exactly Jaylen, seem right, but yeah, yeah, he had that knee thing too. Oh right, right, that right. was his yeah, that's, right. that's why he only played six minutes. Swolled up on him. Um, no, not a game that they necessarily needed him. Not a game that they yeah, needed. they did not need him. <laughs> they, they didn't need they didn't need much of anything. They won that game pretty comfortably, seventy six fifty four, as I mentioned off the top of the podcast. And we've had a couple of like I don't know like B versions of these this year, but this was the thing that we've been waiting for, the thing that we've alluded to, the Mississippi State game last year. This was the Mike Coatsar game Coates that we game. get one of a year, and we've been fortunate enough, like I said, or, or Carolina's been fortunate enough to get, you know, several, of, like, like many versions of this, but 21 and 11, a steal, and four blocks. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not even going to look. I don't need to look. That's definitely a career high for him. In blocks? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, and weirdly enough, He's just one of three players since the 2011 season to have at least 20 points, at least 10 rebounds, and at least four blocks in a game. Fifth time, third player. Fifth time, third player. So Chris did it, I'm guessing. Yeah, Chris Silva did it twice, and the other player did it twice. Um, oh Gosh, I can't, when did Sam Muldrow play? Sam Muldrow. Sam Muldrow? Yeah, okay. Sam Muldrow did it twice. Mike Coatsar is now in the same breath as Chris Silva and Sam Muldrow. That's, that's, that's pretty good company. Yeah, that's great company. That's, and this is... And it wasn't just the fact that he scored a bunch of points. You know, he did that against Mississippi State last year, but that was all, you know, hitting shots and all this. He only took eight for eight shots, mm-hmm. scored twenty one points, mm-hmm. so made his first seven field goals. And then the one that he missed was the easiest shot he took all game. Yeah, <laughs> it's it was, under the basket. Yeah, and just laid it up, and yeah. missed. But he made. He got to the free throw line ten times. He made seven of those, which has been an Achilles heel for this team at times. And for Mike for most of his career. Yeah. And well, I mean, Frank even said it after the game. He goes, when was the last time you remember Mike getting to the free throw line 10 times? The answer is never. Because Mike, that was a career high in free throw attempts wow. for him. Uh, previous high was like nine. So that was a career high for him. He took a charge. When was the last time you saw Mike Coatsar take a charge? <laughs> Might be the first time I remember this year. Yeah. So it just, it was his, it was his best all around game. He looked really good doing it. And you hope that, like we said against Mississippi State last year, you hope you can just build on it. And it's weird to say, but this has kind of been building. Like you said, I mean, I remember leaning over to Chris Wellbaum in the middle of the game when Coatsar was at like 15 and 9. I was like, there's still like 15 minutes to go in this game. Mm-hmm. Is this? I leaned over to him and I said, you know, is this our Mike Coatsar game for the year? And he goes, I've said that like six times this year already, <laughs> it feels like. So is th- this might just be Mike Coatsar at this point. It's his senior year, and, and it's great because he had that little four-game swoon, a couple of games where he got into foul trouble, and he scored 0, 6, 6, and 2, and I was like, okay, 
he's regressing a little bit towards what we would expect from him. But in the two games since then, he had 10 and 9 against Arkansas, and he had 21 and 11 against Missouri. And I'm looking at some of these other stat lines, like other games that we would have called the Mike Coates our game in years past uh, 17 and 8 against Tennessee, 18 and 10 against Florida. He had a 17 and 9 against George Washington. Um, and now, you know, now we're getting into the non con where it's like not super impressive. But like, you know, uh, the 14 and 7 he put up against Boston would have been like a really good game for him. And that's kind of been about average for him. Well, I remember sitting there during the Boston game, right after they had lost, obviously, and I said, You just wasted your Mike Coatsar game. Yeah. Like, you wasted yeah. your Mike Coatsar game. And that was probably, that probably ended up being what, the fifth or sixth yeah. best game of the year for him? Yeah. And now he's, and, and give him credit. And Frank Martin said it, give him a lot of credit for being as consistent as he's been for the most part. He took a couple games off and not off, but just wasn't as effective mm-hmm. against um the, the first, you know, couple games in SEC play, but he's turned a corner. This is it's more of an anomaly now to see Mike Kusar not have a good game. Right. Which is not something I thought I was going to say before the season started. No. And and the efficiency too is just yeah. is great. I I'm gonna I just closed out of his uh his stat page so let me pull it back up but yeah for the season he's shooting 47 percent from the field he's still only at 53 percent from the line so obviously seven of ten is really good there but he's really efficient and when he's got that little that little lefty baby hook going like that he did gorgeous uh, yeah i mean it looks so nice when it goes in and i don't know i've always i'm, I'm trying not to be revisionist here because i i was not crazy about mike for his first three years at carolina i didn't expect much of him this year i don't think anybody did i don't think that necessarily is a hot take or a news flash or anything like that, but he always felt like a little bit of an unlucky player, which I just, I chalked it up to like, he's just not a very good player because yeah. good players, good shooters get shots to go. And Mike didn't. And it always seemed like throughout his career, whether it was that lefty hook, whether it was a little jumper, whatever, it seemed like he always had an inordinate number of shots that would look really good rim out. and then rim out. Yeah. Um, which he'd again, get to like, the rim. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like he'd get good looks, but that, that's something that, over time, rather than being like, well, I guess, you know, that's that's really unlucky. I was like, well, you know, good players, good shooters figure out how to get that to go down. Um, that was the missing part of his game, at least of his offensive game, or a missing piece of his offensive game. And by and large, he's had that this year, and, and it just looks really good when it's going down. Yeah, and I credit that a lot to this offseason. Uh, he spent a lot of time with some sports psychiatrists, spent a lot of time um, visiting with the coaching staff, just kind of trying to figure out a way to feel good mentally about where he was. Uh, he got to go home for a little bit, which is something, I mean, you saw it with Chris Silva. You've seen it with these guys that are from other parts of the world. You don't get to go home a lot. And last offseason, he was playing in that three-on-three by three on three tournament uh, for Estonia. He couldn't go home. So he got to go home this offseason, kind of hit the reset button a little bit, and it's played. it's paid dividends. It's been a, one of those things where He's just able to kind of, he, he's clicking and he feels comfortable mentally. And I credit that a lot to the work he put in this offseason for it. 11 rebounds was a really nice part of the game, too. That was another, uh, there, there were so many parts of Mike Kotsar's game going into the season that you would look at and say, that is a hole in his game, that's a hole in his game. Rebounding was another big one. And he's been a really good, really consistent rebounder. And he was getting tough physical rebounds in traffic. I mean, yeah. he has all season, but he really, really was. Uh, when was this Saturday? Yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday. On Saturday against Missouri, and again, not a great Missouri team. Like you know, their, their bigs no. are fine, and they're with, they were without Tillman, and, right? But so to, even to do that is still it was it, it was just it's the mentality even more than the execution, and to go up and to grab eleven rebounds and to do that, it just it's all it's kind of all of his games, all of the different pieces of his game feeding the other pieces of his game, 
And if Justin Minaya is going to miss extended periods of time, as you mentioned, there's so many little things that he does well, whether it's his defensive versatility, whether it's his shooting, which is significantly improved since SEC play started, whether it's, uh, you know, even the, the defense that doesn't show up in the stat sheet, you know, denials and tip balls and things like that. But one of the biggest things that Carolina is probably going to miss there is the rebounding and yep. the energy there from that position, um, you know, also coming from a guy that can shoot threes. Like, you can put Jalen in there and Wilden's in there and get maybe some of the rebounding back, but you're losing you're some of the some offensive versatility. There. But Mike Kotsar's really probably going to have to pick up the slack because if Carolina's going to put enough scoring on the floor, they're probably going to sacrifice a little bit of size. They're going to need him to rebound. So he's going to need to continue doing exactly what he, did, what he did against Missouri. I'm not saying average 11 rebounds a game for the rest of the season, but just kind of attack the glass with that same kind of mentality. Yeah, and you've seen guys in the past step up when guys get hurt. Like, I remember last year, we were sitting there going, what the hell is South Carolina going to do? Justin's out for the season with that knee injury and whatever. And then in steps Keyshawn Bryant, and boom, 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 South Carolina's got their wing of the future, you know? So I think this is an opportunity for Mike. I mean, you saw it with P.J. Dozier when Sundarius went out his senior year when he was suspended. Chris Silva, his last two years, I know no one was really significantly hurt outside of Justin, but... Chris Silva's last two years put a team on his back. Mm -hmm. And so you've had scenarios where guys have stepped up, and I think you're going to see that with Mike a little bit. I think you're going to see that, especially on the rebounding side. And then I think you're going to see Keyshawn step into that role a little bit. He's a pretty good rebounder. Uh, I think you're going to see Wildens and, and Jalen are obviously going to get more run. And they're pretty you know above-average rebounders. They're really good rebounders for freshmen. Uh, so who knows? And I think offensively, I think you're going to see Keyshawn of old because now more stuff's going to have to get run for him because you're having to, you know, you're having to find Justin's points elsewhere. You have to find, he was averaging 11.2 points per game his last mm -hmm. five games. You're going to have to find that somewhere. And a lot of that could come from Keyshawn. You hope it comes from Keyshawn. And that was a perfect transition. It's like, it's like you knew we were going there. We didn't even have to do a rundown. We didn't even today. do like a pre pre. No, no. Well, we did that every once in a while. We did it for the Arkansas game because there were a ton of different things we had to make sure to hit. Um, this was not one of them, and you led me right into flow. That's Keyshawn. It yes. Yeah, it's it's flow. We're on the same page now. We've been doing this for a couple months. We're in each other's brains. It's telepathy. Yeah. But Keyshawn played just 11 minutes, was dealing with a little bit of a knee, two points, 0 of 2 from the field. He made two of his four free throws, had an assist, had a couple blocks, did not actually record a rebound in the game. Keyshawn has played 11 minutes, 17 minutes. He did play 22 against Vanderbilt, and he didn't need to play much more than that. Three against Texas A&M, so he's played fewer than fewer than eighteen minutes in three of the last four games that he's played. Obviously, he missed what was that the Auburn game in between yeah. injuries to and Vanderbilt that too. Right. So, how much of that is a concern? Obviously, he missed most of the early part of the season with you know a significant injury. What was that? A knee? Knee? Yeah. Yeah. Missed six weeks or whatever it was to start the season, and then just like little things here and there, you know, getting a little bit banged up. You know, he got the head injury against Texas A&M, and then that kept him out of the Auburn game. And then, you know, against Arkansas, I guess we don't actually know exactly what that was other than him sort of getting frustrated. But yeah, I think that's what Frank said. Yeah. You know, like a little more, I guess, outside of yeah. basketball than like, you know, an injury or play or anything like that. And then you get banged up a little bit again against Missouri. He scored two points, four points, seven points, zero points, 15 against Kentucky, but just eight against Tennessee, and 14 against Florida. He's yet to lead South Carolina in scoring in any game this year. And yeah, granted, he hasn't played all that many games, but... We've talked a lot about AJ sort of regressing and not having a super-duper sophomore year compared to the expectations in his freshman year. At what point do we worry about Keyshawn? I don't think you're worried about Keyshawn just yet. I think these next couple games, if Justin can't go, 
will tell you a lot about where Keyshawn is because he's he's a much more savvy basketball player this year than he was last year. We've seen that. He's a better passer. He's a better – his basketball IQ, and I hate using that term because it's so cliche, but his basketball IQ is a lot better. He understands the system a little bit more offensively. He's still a great defender, good on closeouts, uh, really good on help defense. So he's doing – it's, weirdly enough, almost like Justin was before he started scoring. He's doing almost all the other stuff well outside of rebounding to a degree, doing all the other stuff well, and now he just needs to see the ball go in the basket. And I think that a lot of that's because he's not getting the volume mm-hmm. of looks that he got last year. And with if Justin Minai is out, he's going to get those because AJ's still going to get his looks. Mike's going to get his you're going to need someone to kind of pick up some of the slack. And Keyshawn's a prime guy to do it. A guy that's athletic, a guy that's smarter this year, a guy that's playing well at times this year. When healthy, give him the ball and just kind of see what he can do on the dribble drive or back cuts or things like that. He's going to get more opportunities, and it's just a matter of can he seize them. Obviously, we've seen him do it, and he's done it in, in good moments. Obviously, he played really well against Kentucky, the 15 points there. Like didn't he have a big putback dunk that either like ended a run or sparked a run? He had or like two like or three against Kentucky. Yeah. yeah. So so I mean we know that he can do it. It's just a matter of being able to put it together consistently, which has kind of been a question mark for him this year. And it made sense early on because he was dealing with coming back from the knee injury, working himself back into shape. And I guess lately it's made sense because he's had you know the knee injury this past game, the head injury four games ago or whatever for um, however long ago that was the A and M game. But it's just there have been different things holding him back, and at some point he's just. You can't afford you can't afford that anymore. Carolina yeah. has had the depth; they've had the luxury where they've been able to afford that and absorb that a little bit. But with Manaya out, you're I mean, more than being just down a player, and more than being down those eleven points over the last five games, and however many rebounds and whatever three point shooting percentage, it's 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 the impact. And Keyshawn can have that, like you're saying, but it hasn't really lately. And it's just can he get that turned around in a hurry? Yeah. Uh, elsewhere in the starting lineup, because I feel like. This is kind of how we roll through these, and I, I kind of like it. We, we yeah. never even talked about this, but this is it's kind of uh, happened organically. It's yes. flow. It's organic flow. flow. That is the theme. Organic flow. You can get that at Earth Fair. It's really expensive, though. Um, AJ Lawson, for the second straight game, led Carolina in minutes, played 30 minutes, 13 points, 5 of 9 from the field, 3 of 6 from 3-point land, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, and wait for it, third straight game with 1 or now 0 turnovers. 0 turnovers for AJ. That's huge. That's what that's that's his Achilles heel this year is the fact that he could not hold on to the ball at times, and he did. He held on to the ball. He played really well doing it too, so that's good for AJ. This was probably his best game of the year, at least in SEC play, just in been. terms of just efficiency been. and all around play outside of maybe the Arkansas game. Uh, yeah, maybe some recency bias there, but. He played really well, and he's played really well now for about two or three weeks. So. Loved the way that he attacked the glass this game. Yeah, no, that was huge. It, uh, and that was, you know, even when he was sort of getting back before his shot was finding the bottom of the net, before he was getting back to his offensive rhythm, you could start to see him get back into his game by being aggressive, rebounding, by being a little bit better defensively. So like you were talking about with Keyshawn, like some of those little things that even when he hasn't been scoring or playing offense well, he does well, and this was... This was the height of it. This was his. Uh, this tied his season high in rebounds with the Boston game. Yeah, and I think that it's just so good to see for South Carolina to get that going for AJ because he's he's playing well and maybe he's not putting up twenty five a night or twenty a night like people expected, 
But South Carolina's got other guys that can do it. And now with Justin out, maybe he gets more looks like that. Maybe he is having to put up 20 a night. But he's playing a lot better, and he's playing a lot better defensively. He's kind of understanding a little bit of what, what they're doing. And I think with if Wildens has to come in, he's going to get a rim protector behind him like he had last year with Silva. So that's going to help him out a little bit if that comes to comes to pass. This is setting up nicely for A.J. Lawson to have a really good final 10 games of the year. Here are his turnovers from the start of SEC play through the Auburn game. Four against Florida, two against Tennessee, two against Kentucky, three against Texas A&M, three against Auburn. Since, one against Vanderbilt, one against Arkansas, zero against Missouri. Here is his three-point shooting since SEC play started through the Auburn game. Uh, three of eight from Florida, 0 of two against Tennessee, 0 of five against Kentucky. Got it back a little bit, four of seven against A&M, uh, three of six against Auburn, and then two of six Vandy, three of seven Arkansas, three of six Missouri. And the other thing that's really interesting, and I'll go a little bit um, farther, excuse me, I'll go a little bit further back for this one, because this is also going to factor into what you were saying about his increased role now that Manaya's is out. Um, Cleveland or Cleveland State? Yeah, the Cleveland State Vikings, Cleveland State. that's right. <laughs> I had completely forgotten about that game. <laughs> um, shot attempts, 17, 18 against Boston, 13 against Gardner-Webb, um, just six against uh, Wichita. That was the game that he got... Uh, yeah. He got benched in the second half, right? I think so. Yeah, that's right. Something like that. It was a long time ago now. Um, you and I, Northern, uh, Northern Iowa, 14. Uh, George Washington, 10. Mass, 13. Houston, 10. Clemson, 15. UVA, 12. Stetson, that was the game that he for he sure, for got, sure benched got benched in the second half. Uh, only seven shot attempts. Florida, 15. But then 7, 9, 7, 8. Starting with Vanderbilt, 11, 13. And then 9 against Missouri. For Justin Minaya, who's probably averaging, what, seven, eight shots a game in the last couple games now that he's been finding his stroke a little bit more, yep. there are shots to be had. We know AJ's comfortable shooting in that 13 to 17 range like he was. Those shots are going to be there, and if he continues to be efficient, three of seven from three, three of six from three, four of seven from three, if those are the extra shots that he's taking, maybe Carolina can absorb a little bit more. Again, like I think the, the Minaya loss is, is horrible could very, very easily be the the thing that keeps them out of the tournament. More than the Stetson loss, more yes. than the Boston loss. If they can't do a whole lot, well, and we'll get to it, but they can't do a whole lot without him, then right. this three-game streak's all for naught. But it has, a, it has a lot more to do for me with the intangibles that Mania brings because you mentioned, whether it's McCreary, whether it's Bryant, like you can probably make up some of those rebounding. With AJ, we're going to talk about Jermaine in just a second. You know, Jair coming off the bench, Trey coming on, even though I think he probably had his worst game of SEC play against Missouri. Yep. Uh, TJ Moss actually hitting a couple threes. I yeah, feel like he's hit several in the last couple games. You feel like those things you can add up to the scoring that Justin Manaya yes. is, is like could could be you could be losing with his injury. It, again, it's going to be the impact outside of the stats. But AJ is like the first person that I look to to say, okay, you're losing 11 points a game. Where's it coming from, AJ? You know you've been playing well. You're scoring efficiently for the most part. Now all you need to do is get that volume back up to where it was in the early part of the season. And he just continues to trend in the right direction. 13-7-3, two steals, only one foul, no turnovers. No and, turnovers. And a career high in offensive rating. Which was? 154. Wow. Just whew, yeah. really good. Uh, his previous high was 150 before that. So, And he's doing it not getting used a whole lot. I mean, it's one of those things where. What's his usage, like 22%? For Missouri, it was 15. Mm. Arkansas wow. was 17. Just 15%? Yeah. Which is great, which be which means he's getting good looks when he's getting the ball and, and attacking when he needs to attack. Um, 15, 17, 18, so 17% against Arkansas and percentage of possessions used. 
uh, 18 against Vanderbilt, 16 against Auburn, 13 against A&M, 5 against Kentucky. Wow. No, that's points. Number, yeah, 17 against Kentucky, sorry. Um, his high in SEC plays 30 against Florida. Hmm. So they're not using him as much because you're obviously getting big contributions from Jermaine, from Mike, from Justin. But as if, I feel like we're talking about it as a foregone conclusion, if Justin Manaya is out of the lineup, then that usage rate is probably going to go up. That percentage of possessions used is going to probably increase into the low 20s, maybe mid-20s, depending on game flow. So, uh, yeah, I think this is good for AJ because then, then he's going to get a lot more opportunities to to score. And when he's shooting in a clip like this over 50% since for the last, what, four or five games, you feel good about giving him the ball maybe more so than you did in that middle of the season when mm-hmm. he was kind of slumping. Speaking of efficient scoring, Jermaine Cushnard. Another good game, bounce yes. back game after not playing great against Arkansas. Fifteen points on six of twelve shoot, uh, six of twelve shooting, missed both of his three uh, threes, made three of his four free throw attempts, added four rebounds, a career high six assists for him, three steals, uh, did have three turnovers, so still like two at to that one, two to one, two to one, though. which is I mean it's nice. He still want to get the turnovers down, but if you're dishing six times, you can afford to turn the ball over a little bit more. Um, we've said this many times now. He is the true point guard of this team, and when he gets going. He's he's such a good finisher around the rim. He, it, it, I mean, other than AJ, he's like really the only guy that I feel like can pretty much consistently get his shot, and he, he's got that mentality. And sometimes it costs him because sometimes I feel like he gets a little bit of blinders and you know holds onto the ball, dribbles it a little bit too much. But when he goes to work, you feel pretty good about it. And he's the other guy that I'm going to look to. He's scoring efficiently. I, I don't know if we're going to see Jermaine taking like 15 shots a game necessarily, but it, it feels like there is still more scoring potential untapped with Jermaine and it's now uh, what like uh, six games since he became a starter and only that the Arkansas game was the only one that was kind of an anomaly yeah yeah, kind of like a little bit of a dud but I mean this dude's a legitimate 15 point per game scorer in SEC play and we said this a couple weeks ago a little bit of a slump against Arkansas didn't that didn't like perturb me overly but it it I don't want to say I continue to be surprised but it continues to be impressive for a guy that is so young that is we talk about this as his first year actually playing. He's played like, you know, 20 college basketball games or whatever and way fewer, six or whatever, as a starter. He just looks so comfortable out there. And to be a, a playmaker, this level of playmaker this early in his career is like really impressive. Yeah, and I attribute that to where he grew up. Um, Chicago mm-hmm. uh, usually doesn't tend to breed soft people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he has got... He's got stones, man. And, like, that's the thing about him is that he's just – he went toe-to-toe with some really good guards at Auburn. He went toe-to-toe with some really good guards against Arkansas. He went toe-to-toe with Kentucky's guards in his first career start. I mean, that's that's a big F you I'm going kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know. Yeah. And his numbers show it. He's top 25 in the SEC in effective field goal percentage, shooting almost 50% effective field goal percentage. Uh, assist rate he's top 10 uh, he's top 25 in steal percentage and fouls drawn per 40 minutes so if he goes in and plays 40 minutes he's drawing five fouls mm. which is pretty darn good and he's shooting 51 percent from two um 31 percent from three and 56 percent from the line that's like the best on the team for carolina yeah and yeah so he's doing some things that and, and he gives this team and, and frank said it and he's beat kind of a dead horse saying it he just gives this team this sort of personality about it and it's working 
and he's he's uplifting. There, I don't think it was a secret that when he got into the lineup, Justin and I started playing well. AJ Lawson started playing well. My coach I started playing well. All these guys started to play well because Jermaine knows the system. Jermaine ain't afraid to call you out mm-hmm. on your BS if you're if you're lacking. So that's that, that's what you want from a point guard. And he's he's this team's leader at 19, 20 years old. He is the team's leader, and that's good for South Carolina. Did you and I miss it when we've spent most of the last four or so games or five games or however long saying that it was Manaya, that he was the tide that was lifting all boats or all ships, whatever that whatever that analogy is? Every glue guy needs a piece of paper, and Jermaine is that piece of paper. <laughs> Jermaine's the paper? <laughs> Jermaine's the paper. Okay, all right, that's fine. But I think you're exactly right. I think you're exactly right. Well, I don't think we totally missed it, but... Maybe we didn't tell the full story, and now it's yes. now we're getting a little bit clearer picture, and we're really going to have an opportunity again. If we're just assuming yeah. that he will, because we're assuming the worst here for South Carolina, if Manaya does miss time, the next couple games especially will be a great opportunity. Because if Jalen McCreary gets in there and he's, you know, ten and six a game, we know that he can do that because he's flashed that and he's you know becoming a good player in his own right. But I think you're going to have to start to look at some of the other things that have been consistent and. Uh, Jermaine's just been awesome, and he's fun uh, to play. Yeah, finding and he, point and he, guard play. He has that kind of edge. Like, yeah, he and Hannibal are, are becoming my favorite players on this team. The man, like, literally shushed an Auburn crowd <laughs> after, like, in, in his third start. <laughs> the like, same they lost that game. <laughs> yeah, like that was awesome, man. Like that's that's what you want from your point guard. You want, um, you don't want it to the nth degree like a Marshall Henderson, but you want a guy with some some swagger about him with some you know, grit and and edge, and Jermaine gives you that. Jermaine gives you that kind of personality, that just screw you, I'm not scared of you kind of vibe that, I mean, that's Sundarius vibe Mm -hmm. of I don't care who I'm going up against, I'm better than you and I'm going to beat you. The other thing about Jermaine, he's developed some really nice chemistry with Mike. There were two plays in particular that I'm just looking at my notes from the game here that jumped out and I wanted to mention. Uh, One was in the first half. They ran like a little bit of, pick and roll off ball like around the elbow and Jermaine caught the ball and immediately dished like a pocket pass while the defenders were like in the middle of like trying to switch switch and found Coates are for an easy lay in and then basically did the same thing in the other half except it wasn't off ball they just ran like a dribble handoff and it was the same thing he got it as soon as he turned the corner he was already looking for Mike found Mike same thing little pocket pass I think that may have actually been the shot that Mike missed if I remember correctly I didn't put the uh, result of the play in my notes but the feel for the game that he has, and it's contagious. Yes. Because the other thing, and I think we're going to talk about the defense here in just a minute because that was really impressive for Carolina. Again, not a great Missouri team, missing, what, their second and third top scorers or second yeah. and fourth or third and two, fourth, something like two that. Two to three really, really big pieces. Two two or three really big pieces for them for a team that's already limited offensively and, and not great this season. Um, but South Carolina was still really, really good defensively that game. And the other thing that, that we've started to see a little bit more, 14 assists, which is nice. That's like... I think right about what South Carolina averages, but it's coming from a lot of different places. It was obviously six for Jermaine. It was three from AJ. It was a dish uh, from Justin Manaya. It was one from Keyshawn Bryant. There was uh, one from Trey Hannibal, one from Jair Bolden, one from TJ Moss. Like the ball just seems to be moving a little bit more. We talked about it last time. Yeah, in terms and they're of getting the good reversals and yeah. ball movement. And it's because of Jermaine. Jermaine. And in large part because of Jermaine and the fact that he likes getting the ball to Mike, which. Goes well with Frank Martin's offensive paint touches. Yeah, and Mike playing well. Yeah, so that's what you need. And Mike was always a good passer. He mm-hmm. just could never finish. And right. He was finishing. And so you have to respect Mike a little bit more, which opens up more stuff on the perimeter. And if you're knocking down shots, which they've actually been a very good 
three-point shooting team in SEC play, it helps your offense. Weird how when you knock down shots, your offense tends to do good things. And when you pass the ball a lot and get guys open looks, it's easier to knock down those shots. That's, that's Passing weird. is contagious, and it all has kind of started with Jermaine getting back into the starting lineup. Uh, in terms of the bench, everybody played. I think we probably have to start with Mike Green. He did not call glass. Do you care? No, that was awesome. Really? I'm trying to figure out a cool nickname for him at this point. Mike Green. Um, I need to see if they have a nickname for him on the team. Mike Green. Mike There's always Green. obviously the skin color jokes and yep. white chocolate. And yeah. Different things like that. Um, He's not Irish, even though he's green, but he could be like, I don't know, Shamrock, Luck of the Irish. Um, Mike Glass, Green Glass, Glass Green. I'm going to ask around. Yeah. We'll ask. Are you going to ask him or are you going to ask other people what his nickname is? Because I think that's a, yeah, that's a better option. Yeah, because then he could just be like, you know, people call me like Thunder. Like, yeah. and no people one call me God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> No, like if I had to come up with a nickname for myself, it'd be a lot cooler than probably the nicknames I get called. So, um, um, I kind of want to ask you your nicknames, but no, maybe that's, no, a, that's a that's, that's a, a podcast pod, for another, pod for another time. That's a, that's a podcast. No, none of them are flattering. <laughs> none of them are flattering. <laughs> Do you watch Veep? I've started it. Okay, I haven't. I, I think I'm on like season two or three. There's some great compilations summer. of all the horrible things that all the different characters called Jonah. Oh yeah, um, which is great, and yes. most of them. Uh, not safe for this podcast, although we, we broke a little bit of a seal having to put the, the e-label on last week's podcast. We're not going to do that regularly. I mean, I guess we could. I don't necessarily plan on it. If it happens, no. it happens. But if I if I go through some of the nicknames for Jonah from Beep, um, it will we'll become that. So I would just say That's I would a postseason. That's a postseason podcast. <laughs> yeah. We'll recap the hard foul off-season edition. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Mike Green headlining it with three points. Um, but in all seriousness, Jair Bolden, as I mentioned, didn't have a super-duper game. Uh, five points, two of six, one of five from three. Had an assist. Uh, did not have any turnovers, which is nice. Uh, TJ Moss hit a couple of threes. Two of three from three, two of four from the field. Um, still had a turnover and one assist. That dude is just one-to-one always. He could have 15 assists and he had 15 turnovers. It's honestly kind of impressive. Uh, the one thing that really jumped out at me, uh, you know, Levesque and McCreary, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, had fine games. McCreary a little bit limited with that knee injury. Um, Alonzo Frank has kind of disappeared. Yeah, it's a crowd. It's a crowd of front court now um, with Manaya starting Which I at the four. I did not think then, it would be at the beginning of the season. No, I mean the way that Levesque and McCreary have come on, it, it's kind of yeah. a luxury that you can play ten minutes from Frank and not really get a whole lot from him, and it doesn't really matter. And that's that's kind of been the case for the last couple games. But he's going to factor in more if Justin Manaya is out. He's got more experience than Levesque and McCreary, and we've seen him, you know, do it not, a, not like on a high level, but he has had good games and big situations. He has the skill set to be an efficient scorer from the post. He just hasn't gotten as many opportunities. Ten minutes, only got one shot in those ten minutes. Did have a rebound, a couple of steals, a block, um, no turnovers, only a couple of fouls, which is nice. Two fouls in ten minutes is probably like a record for Frank without looking yeah. at his at his game log. Are you worried about Frank, or is it is it more about Levesque and McCreary playing well? I think it's the latter. I think it's more about the fact that you're getting really good minutes from Wilden's Levesque, and you're really getting really good minutes from Jalen McCreary. Um, he's just kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. Um, plays really well offensively. Obviously, defense has been his big thing, and, and that's what Frank's told him he needs to work on. So finding that's going to be important. And if he can do that, then I think you're going to see some more run with him lately. Especially, like we said, if Justin's out, those minutes got to go somewhere. I could see them splitting up minutes, you know, with Frank getting a few more. Uh, we'll be interesting to see. Because you're basically playing four bigs. You're playing Coates, or you're playing Mania. You're playing, I don't know, either Levesque or McCreary. 
and then it's like Frank and the other one of Levesque and McCreary are kind of splitting those those fourth batch of minutes, but now it's going to be Coates are Levesque, McCreary, and Frank. If you assume the rest of the rotation is going to stay the same, which again, it's it's a lot of speculation now, so it's not like totally worth it. I'll be curious to see once Frank gets a little bit more like a steadier minute rotation. I don't know how many minutes he played last year. It felt like by the end of the season he was playing like 15 to 18. If he gets back to that level, I, I wonder if we will see the offensive efficiency return or if this is just a little bit of a sophomore slump for him. But um, the other interesting part of the equation will be what does that do for South Carolina's defense? Because obviously when you have Coates, Armania, Bryant, Lawson, Kusnard, like other than maybe Trey Hannibal, those are your five best defenders on the team. So it, it makes sense that South Carolina's defensive numbers have been fantastic. Uh, really damn good. Yeah, and you're right up on GamecockCentral.com. Y'all subscribe to that, and if you aren't subscribed and want to try it out, if you've never been subscribed, uh, GC Pod is the exclusive Gamecock Central Podcast Network code to get you a month of insider access for free. In your What We Learned from the Missouri game, you had basically the breakdown of how impressive South Carolina's defensive stats have been. Oh, yeah, they have been very good. Yeah, I won't tell you. You have to go read the article. Yes. But, um, I can give you a little tease. Yeah, give a little tease. They are number one in defensive efficiency since conference play started giving up 95.4 points per 100 possessions, wow. which is very, very... That's less than a point of possession, mm-hmm. which is very good. And then they are top five in all but one real defensive category in SEC play. Solid. Solid. Yeah, to get the rest of the numbers, check it out on GamecockCentral.com. But it makes sense. It's easy to do that when you're starting your best five defensive players. If you have to put Frank in there, that becomes a little bit of a hole, a little bit of a liability. I think he's been a little bit better based on the eye test this year. I don't know if Frank agrees or disagree. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but the one thing we can all agree on is, especially against Missouri, even though they had some players out and some offensive shortcomings in general, when the other team doesn't make their first two-point field goal until six minutes and 37 seconds ago in the first half, that's, that's pretty good. That's good. It's pretty good. And you you credit that to their on-ball defense mm-hmm. and the fact that they've been they've been better at that. That was a, that was a weakness at times. Um, and they've kind of fixed it. And it's been pretty good and they're they're keeping guys in front of them and their ball screen defense is pretty darn good and they're forcing misses and I think that that's in part because teams are just missing I think that's in part because South Carolina is doing a good job of not letting them get their feet set or putting a hand in their face but the closeouts have been good the help defense has been good it's it's starting to come around to where not to the level that maybe Frank Martin wants it because Frank Martin, you can always be better on defense. Mm-hmm. But it's starting to be better. They still foul a little bit too much, and Frank talked about that yesterday in his press conference. But they're fouling a little bit too much, but everything else has been pretty darn good. Um, and I think that this is positive going forward. Here's the number from this Missouri game. I meant to start with this, but I'm kind of glad that I saved it to the end. 117.34, or 117 and a third. You know what that is? It's a number. That is... The number of minutes that have passed since South Carolina trailed an SEC basketball game. It was like what seven to four against Vanderbilt or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, a seven to six against Vanderbilt. Yeah, and then Manaya hit a hit a layup and one to make it nine to seven, and that was the last time they trailed. Wire to wire the rest of the way against Vanderbilt. Wire to wire against Arkansas. Wire to wire against Missouri. And like part of that, that's not a great number because it's like okay, X team wins the tip and they hit their first shot. Now you're, you know, down, yeah. you're trailing. So, I mean, like some of that. But just, in fairness, Arkansas was scoreless at the first media time. Yeah. And Vanderbilt didn't hit their first uh, two-pointer until less than, you know, at the third media timeout or whatever it was, fourth media timeout. And Carolina was up 8 nothing, I think, before Missouri hit a three. Yeah. And then it was 10-3. Yeah. yeah. So, come on. I mean, this is good. This is a good defensive team right now. 
and the fact that they're doing this and now they got a bigger test coming against Ole Miss mm-hmm. um, to a degree. Ole Miss's numbers have not been very friendly offensively, but this is a team that slowly kind of find find itself, you know, statistically speaking, defensively. And I'm looking it up now. Uh, so their defensive efficiency in SEC play, so smaller sample size, mm-hmm. is 95.4. Their final four year was 88.1 hmm. for the entire season. Wow. But 93.3 in SEC play. Okay. So close to that. Comparable yeah. to defensively in the SEC. They're going to have to have some outstanding defensive performances between now and then because holding any team to 54 is really going to help that. Yes. Um, but you have some opportunities. You have yes. a couple of bad Georgia teams, and as long as, I mean, they won their second SEC game the other night, and it was because Anthony Edwards went for 29 and 15, and that's pretty much the only way that Georgia's going to win yeah. a conference game. <laughs> the, the Ben Simmons-LSU game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there are two, there are two wins. Uh, I think the other one was against Tennessee. He scored. He was like twenty six and ten, or twenty six and nine, or something like that. So as Anthony Edwards goes, so goes Georgia. And we're going to talk about that obviously when they so they have Ole Miss and then A and M and then Georgia. So we'll talk yes. about that this time next week. Um, so we'll hold that off for now. But Carolina really has a shot, and the defense is now Manaya being out would obviously added a significant wrinkle to that. But uh, the other thing that surprised me and impressed me in this Missouri game was it was a block party. The likes of which we don't often see at South Carolina. Eight blocks in the first half. They finished with nine, which is above where they are normally. I don't know how many off the top of my head they average per game. Um, an inordinate number of blocks, obviously four for Mike, and then a couple of really emphatic ones. Manaya had one that he just very disrespectfully swatted into the first row. Keyshawn Bryant had one that he spiked off the backboard. Like They were flying around and just knocking the crap out of these shots. What did shock you if I told you that South Carolina was 22nd in the nation in block percentage? Really? Yeah, that, that would shock me. Because what are they averaging? Like five blocks a game? I do not know, but I'm looking at the look. kind of a little bit of advanced stats here. Yeah, that's, that's fourth really Fourth in the impressive. SEC. Really? Yes. They don't feel like it. Do they feel like it to you? Am I totally it does not. off base here? Okay. Because Frank kind of lamented in the in the past um, the fact that they haven't had a rim protector. Yeah. He, I mean, he mentioned that yesterday. They're the only averaging 4.3 blocks a game. Yeah, uh, which when you're forcing a lot of turnovers helps your case because block percentage goes into – Percentage of shots that go up, right? Percentage of shots you block, so um, hmm. it helps. Yeah, that, um, but more than twice their average per game blocks against Missouri, four point yeah, three, and then yeah, nine. No, it was it was a really above average performance, and I think that you're starting to see the fact that the guards are able to kind of stay with their man through the lane and contest helps with that. Obviously, uh, Wilden's the vet coming on as a guy who's six ten and can jump out the gym helps with that. Jalen McCreary's athletic as hell, can help with that. So guys that can block shots are helping you block shots, mm-hmm. and that's what you want to see coming into this point of the year where you're going to face a lot of good guards coming down the stretch and mm-hmm. starts, I mean, obviously, you know, Wednesday against Ole Miss. Hannibal had one either this game or last game, but I can't remember which game it was, but it was really impressive. I was like when small guys get blocks, you know, the D-Wade, where you just kind of like go behind and like whoop, yeah. off the top. Um, so that was really nice. And another game where South Carolina – I mean, it was the game was never really in the balance, but I give them a lot of credit for having a big run in them in the second half, which it seems like they always have. Missouri was able to cut it to nine, and then South Carolina outscored them twenty-four to eleven over the last ten minutes of the game. Yeah, no, and and you hit, and that's where Jair Bolden's three comes in. I think they had an alley oop in that stretch. It was just one that of was the a big oop. Yeah, that big was oop. Uh, that was Kushnar to Lawson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what you want to see, <laughs> and I wrote about it in our and what we learn. That's what tournaments team. That's what tournament teams do. Tournament teams kind of feel the ebb 
and flow of the team, you know, the other team kind of chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, and turn on their F you were better than you switch and boom, 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 boom. And all Step of a sudden, on their throat. Yeah, and all of a sudden a nine-point lead turns to a 16-point lead and it's over. And when, and, you, when you do it against Virginia, when you do it against Kentucky, when you do it against, you know, Missouri, when you yeah. do it against Arkansas, it's it's not a fluke. It's, no. It's kind of a trend. And this, this is team, a – This team's tough. And, yeah, they're tough and they're resilient. And the fact that they were able to just go out there and, and put it on the table, you know, where you had no Keyshawn, no Jalen. Trey Hannibal was dealing with the loss of a friend. Justin obviously had his bum hand. And you were still able to go out there and put an FU to – if you were better than you run together, that says a lot about what this team is and the depth this team has. That's nice. And the yeah. CLA was bumping a little bit. Oh, that was. I best. think the loudest they got was for the Mike Green three. But yeah, I think I mean the Kentucky crowd's always dynamite. But yeah. I feel like that's a lot of Kentucky fans with it. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, think that's, that, I that's mean, different. Energy. This was very, and there was obviously some recruiting impact yep. going into this one. Yep. Uh, that was why there was probably a little more charge than normal. Uh, Hoops had some few recruits there, so. This is kind of, you know, the, I think this was the best crowd of the, because they had they had something to cheer about. Mm-hmm. The Kentucky one was a little bit docile until the end, because they were coming off they were losers what three straight at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three straight at the time. Um, or they they were like that would have been their third loss. Oh you know because the because Stetson, Stetson yeah Stetson they were owing to in the Tennessee. SEC yeah, yeah that's right that's right. Uh, so there was a little docile until obviously the end when things got intense. But this from the jump was electric. And Mm. give South Carolina fans credit for that. Uh, I think that it certainly helped a certain case when you're looking at a certain recruit that was in attendance behind the bench sitting with Will Muschamp. Mm -hmm. I think it helps. Uh, So. Jerron Blotch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That guy. Uh, So I I, I think it just helps with everything when you have that electric of a crowd. It's kind of nice. It makes a little bit of a difference when you can actually play well at home, which South Carolina was like, nah, we, we only want to play well on the road for the early part of the season. But yeah. now they're just deciding to play well in a couple different places. Yeah, you had 14 to 15, I think it was what, 14,000, 15,000 people there? More than more than the pavilion yeah. can even hold. They're like, yeah. That's like a 9,000-seat arena, which is probably about average for college I'm very excited. You're going? Yeah, I'm going. Okay. Yeah. Well, how, how long is Oxford from here? Like six Seven hours? Half. Seven hours? Oof, yeah, Are you leaving today? No, I'm okay. leaving. We're recording on Tuesday. I'm leaving first thing in the morning. Yowza. Okay. I'm going to miss signing day. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh. bummer. Late oh, signing day. Late, late signing day. Signing though. day number two. Yeah. Volume two. Yeah. Not as exciting as, as the first one, the official signing day. So if, yeah. I left, if I left right now, it's an eight-hour, seven-minute drive. Oof. Yeah, I'm running. I'm not putting all that miles. I'm leaving <laughs> at like eight tomorrow morning. <laughs> all right. Well, have fun with that. Uh, the tip is at seven for South Carolina and Ole Miss tomorrow. Ole Miss, not very good. South Carolina's five and three in conference, thirteen and eight overall. They have a legitimate shot to be eight and three in a week and a half in SEC play, yes. which is spectacular. And we can talk about the tournament implications or lack thereof here in, in just a minute. But Ole Miss is ten and eleven. They are one and seven in conference play. Their one win was against Georgia, whom we talked about is not a super great team. Ole Miss has been competitive. They took Auburn to a couple overtimes. They were up twenty in that game. They, yeah, they were. <laughs> that was. <laughs> yeah. I, I was flipping back and forth between that and the. Missouri Georgia game being like wow well both of these games suck I don't want to watch either of them and then of course both that yeah. yeah I think yeah Ole Miss was up by or Missouri was up by 19 and Georgia came back and won and obviously Auburn was down by 20 and came back and won but they've, they've had some close games here they lost to Arkansas by four um they lost to well they got blown out by Florida they've played two close games with LSU 80 to 76 and 76 to 63 
for those two games. So the record maybe doesn't exactly reflect how good this team is. They've been very competitive. They, they've been competitive, and we know their that last they, three games. Like the middle class of the SEC is like really really tough. But like at some point, you just say, okay, they're one and seven, and they're ten and eleven overall. South Carolina is thirteen and eight and five and three, and yet, and, and Carolina has been good on the road this year. They have the yes. most road wins in the SEC. And as I'm looking at the matchup predictor, according to ESPN's BPI. Ole Miss has a 54% chance to win this game. Does Ken Palm reflect that? To a degree. Um, they're predicted it's a 50% chance. So it's pretty much toss-up. true toss-up. Um, I guess it's 50 and some change because it's predicting a 72 to 71 South Carolina win. Okay. So it's just one of those where Ole Miss has been playing. They're up and down, but they're home. Uh, I think it's a matchup problem with South Carolina to a degree. Uh, I think I, I like what... Miss does. I like Kermit Davis as a coach. So, um, and you look at who they've lost to. They've beaten the teams that they should have beaten. I mean, they they have a really good win against Penn State, who's probably a tournament team right now. I mean, you would think. I saw someone say there are like ten Big Ten teams in there right now. Big Ten's so. just, and it's cannibalizing itself. Yeah. So, but I mean, they've lost to Memphis, who's solid. Oklahoma State. And that was Memphis, I think, before that was before Wiseman was gone, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I'm going to pull up the box score for that game to confirm. But that was early enough in the season that I think Wiseman was still there. Yeah, maybe. Um. Nope. Okay, I was wrong. Maybe that was the game that he set out. Because it was like right around that time. Yeah, it was like four games, five games into the year. Yeah, and that they was lost. their fifth game. So yeah. Anyway, but they lost, they lost to them just by one. Yeah, and they've lost Oklahoma State. Butler, who's really good. Wichita State, again, really good. Uh, a mid-major that I think could, you could be seeing playing deep into the tournament. Beat Carolina and Ole Miss by about 20. Oh, yeah, they're really good. They're really, really good. And I hate wading into those Wichita State <laughs> waters because of reasons. Um, the really only bad loss was at, on the road at Texas A&M. And at Tennessee, maybe, because they didn't yeah. score 50 in that game. Yeah, they got blown, but you're they right. Got like it's the water. Not, no shame in losing to Arkansas. No shame in losing at Florida. You lose two games to LSU. One by four points. No shame. And they hung with them. Mm-hmm. They've lost two games to LSU by a combined 14 points. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty good. Um, and then you obviously are up 20 on Auburn and, and essentially piss it away in overtime, then double overtime. So it's a team that, and they got two really good guards that South Carolina is going to have to try and contain. So it's Bran, right? Brian. It's Brian. Brian Tyree. I've always called him Bran. I don't know why. I mean, I, I know there's multiple E's in there, but I just feel like I've heard people say Bran. But Brian Tyree. You're a big Game of Thrones. Like, it's Game yeah, of Thrones style. Kinda, yeah, Bran. 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 Bran Tyree. Brian. Brian Tyree. Brian Tyree and Devontae Shuler are, I mean, that's, that's their bread and butter right there. 18 points a game, 12 points a game. Yeah. I feel pretty good when South Carolina's got a matchup with those guards because we talked about how how well Kusnard has has taken some of those defensive responsibilities through the early part of the season, yeah. especially while maintaining like a pretty pretty good, pretty consistent scoring load um, and efficient scoring load, uh, the Kentucky game notwithstanding, but you forgive him for hitting the buzzer beater there. That just generally seems to be a good matchup for Carolina. This is not a this is not an Ole Miss team that's got super duper great bigs. They're only averaging about thirty four rebounds a game. You feel like Carolina can take advantage of them there. I, I just I like the defensive matchup for South Carolina for a, an Ole Miss team that struggled. I mean, they scored fewer than fifty points several times in SEC play. It's going to be interesting because I think South Carolina's had problems this year with keeping guards in front of them. Uh, hasn't been as big of a problem lately. Yeah, since SEC play, it feels like, I mean, I it's guess gotten Andrew Nimhard, and, notwithstanding. And, and Saban Lee to a degree uh, before Hannibal kind of switched on to him. But And Frank's always given credit to Jermaine Kustarn and Hannibal for that Saban Lee performance. But I think they're good about doing it with one. 
it'll be interesting to see how they do it with two. With two guys that you can just throw in a pick and roll mm-hmm. and say go. Yeah. Uh, so it, that that's the only part that worries me is if it if it was just Brian Tyree or just Devontae Shuler, who shout out Devontae Shuler, proud Dutch Fork Silver Fox before mm-hmm. getting out of there. Uh <laughs> Did you go to Dutch Fork? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, go Foxes. Um, but, yeah. Devontae Shuler actually went to school with my brother. Older brother younger brother? Younger brother. Younger brother. I guess that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, but I say he's in college. Well, I know, so. you're, I know you're young. Yeah. No, he went to school with my younger brother. Yeah, yeah. We actually bonded yeah, that. wouldn't that. make any sense. I don't know why yeah. I asked that. We actually bonded at SEC Media Day. Really? Yeah, because cool. I asked him about it. and it, It's a funny story, and <laughs> he was like, uh, you know, I mentioned it in our interview. I was talking with him, and then I go to sit back down, and I'm, I'm typing, and I feel like a hand poke my shoulder, and it's the Ole Miss media relations guy that was with mm-hmm. him, and Devonte, he's like, Devonte wants to talk to you a little bit more about Dutch Fork. Hmm. I'm like, all right, and he goes, I feel like I know. And like, I walk over, and he goes, I feel like I know you, and I'm like, well, what year did you graduate? I think he said I graduated 2013 mm-hmm. from Dutch Fork, and my brother graduated. He didn't end up finishing a Dutch Fork. But they went to middle school together. So, and I said, well, he goes, I graduated in 2017, I think is what it was. And I go, well, you probably went to school, middle school with my brother. And he goes, well, what's your brother look like? And I was like, me, but shorter and kind of chunkier. And he goes, I know him. <laughs> and he like, like, it was like, I know him. And that's so. Um, that's really cool. But yeah, but to, back to my original point, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they do defend with, two guards that can drive the ball mm-hmm. compared to just maybe one that they got against Vanderbilt. Um, the last time they really had to face something like that was probably Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be interesting. Well, pretty to see. well for Carolina. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it'll yeah. be interesting to see how they kind of handle that because that means A.J. Lawson's going to have to guard one of them more than likely. Probably. Now, yeah. the thing that's been interesting, and I think part of the reason that South Carolina has been able to improve in terms of defending good opposing point guards, you have a lot of guys to throw at them. So you yeah. mentioned, you know, Kusnard not doing a great job against Lee. You're like, okay, cool, we'll put Hannibal on him. And if that hadn't worked, you can try AJ on him. Because, yeah. I mean, AJ, I mean, he's he's a two or three, but, I mean, he's... He's got the... And we like we talked about. He's got the length to kind of disrupt yeah. a few things. Now, with Manaya possibly being out, you mentioned Carolina throwing some, you know, like, an extra guard in there. I don't think that they would necessarily start like this. I think you start with Jair just because he has the starting experience, but... I wouldn't be surprised, especially if if Tyree and Schuler are going off a little bit to get a little a little Hannibal, Kusnard, Lawson, Lawson. Bryant, Kotsar. That's a good lineup. That's interesting. That might be my That's, if Manaya can't play, that might be my favorite lineup South Carolina right. can throw out there. Well, because I mean the other thing I said earlier, like right now Carolina starting lineup with Manaya in there. That's their best five defenders. And I said, except Hannibal. So if you're looking to replace that, if if you need to stop, if you need to, you know, slow the bleeding if a team's absolutely gashing you. I mean, that's that's the other guy that might be one of your best five defenders on the team. And if you can get all those guys on the floor at the same time, and especially as, as versatile as Mike is, like maybe you give up, a, I mean, not maybe, but you are giving up a little bit of size. So if you're playing against a couple of Twin Towers, which there aren't a lot of in college basketball anymore, I think that's a, a legit option. And yeah. obviously Frank Martin has been gaining trust in Hannibal. I mean, yeah. he's probably, I don't know, playing 12, 15 minutes a game since SEC play started, something like that. Probably about 12 would be my guess, but... There's more trust. He's willing to 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 let him go, to let him run it, um, and the idea of maybe you know having Kuznard as like kind of an off the ball playmaker and someone that can just attack off the bounce, like if they're letting Hannibal run the, I don't know. Well, if, Frank and, loves to have two point guards on the floor at the same yeah, time. Anytime yeah. you can, you know, ball reverse, you know, ball handoff or whatever, and and have two point guards on the floor, mm-hmm. three with AJ that mm-hmm. he's run point. That Frank That's Martin. interesting. I I would if Manai is out, I would be surprised if we didn't see that for at least a couple minutes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Day. 
especially if Tyree and, and Schuler are doing what I what they can do in terms of just being able to get to the rim and draw mm-hmm. fouls and, and yeah. And then of course there's like there, there's always the we talk about this every game whenever there's some sort of I guess uh, separation distance uh, whenever there's any sort of difference in terms of style of play because if they're going to run with a couple of guards do you run your own three guard lineups out there to try to match them to try to like defend one for one or do you say okay they're going a little bit small so now we're going to go with Levesque or McCreary at the four and try to kill them on the glass because Carolina has already you know established themselves as a pretty good offensive rebounding team and Ole Miss is not a very good rebounding team so you can try to hurt them the other way I think we would probably see both um, I know it's a 50-50. Kim Palm, you said, said it's a, about a one-point win. I, I feel pretty comfortable that Carolina is going to win this. And I said that Missouri game felt more like a trap than yeah. this Ole Miss game and then the upcoming Texas A&M, Texas A&M, A&M game, game and, and really yeah. even the Georgia game. But yeah. I don't know. It's going to be interesting, especially with Manaya and his status kind of being up in the air. I think the way they talked, you know, they might be preparing for Manaya not to play, uh, but you saw it last year when he went out. It took them a little bit of time to kind of figure out their plan without him. And then, uh, granted, it was very early in the season. They're still trying to figure out their team as a whole, and you lose your best player to kind of now you have to figure out that and your your entire team. So I think that it's a little bit easier now, but I think you're going to see an adjustment period. I think these first the first probably five to eight minutes of the game we're going to tell you a lot about South Carolina if they can jump out to a you know 20 to 13 lead mm-hmm. or you know 15 to 8 or whatever that's good because they're kind of you, you build up enough reserve there to, to have, let it be a defensively and uh it's going to be interesting I just do I think they win yeah I I, I do Ole misses you look at their offensive numbers man and they're they're pretty it poor. It is putrid. 13th in offensive efficiency, 13th in effective field goal percentage, 12th in offensive rebound rate, 13th in free throw attempts to field goal attempts, um, 12th in three-point percentage, uh, 13th in two-point percentage. Um, it It's bad. And you know Tyree and, and Schuler can only do so many things that it's just, I, I think if South Carolina can defend those two guys and limit them, Tyree's averaging like 20 points in SEC plays. If you can average, if you can limit him to maybe 13 to 15, um, Schuler to, you know, I think he's averaging 13 in SEC play, get him at, you know, 10 or hold him at his average and do a really good job crashing the offensive glass and not fouling, you win this game pretty comfortably. So Andrew Nimhart obviously torched Carolina when Florida came to the Colonial Life Arena. Since then, and obviously Jermaine Kuznar was not the starting point guard in that game. I think he missed that game with injury? He had a back injury. That's right. And Frank, yeah. I think, still attests that they might win that game. Yeah. I mean, He's really implied it. He's it's... never come out and said it, but I think it's kind of implied that if Jermaine's in there... Then Nimhart probably doesn't go for 21 and 10, yeah. even if Kuznar's not starting. Yeah. But since he has started, you mentioned Saban Lee as sort of like... I guess Kuznar didn't play particularly well against Arkansas, but didn't have a, a bad defensive game. Saban Lee's the only guy that's really had a, a good offensive game when matched up directly with Kuznar. But he also... Only shot like thirty percent from the field. Exactly. Was, I think, yeah. he, I think he, he was like fifteen and seven, but he shot I think five of fourteen that game or five yeah. of sixteen, something like that. So even like the best game that a, an opposing point guard has had against Jermaine is like he kind of got to his numbers, but it wasn't. It, he it didn't wasn't do pretty. it efficiently. It was so, not pretty. I, again, I, I think that that bodes well for Carolina in this matchup. Yeah. That's at seven o'clock tomorrow. Um, we'll obviously have tomorrow. Tomorrow. Wow. I don't. Know. It's like weird. the office scene where it's like they're. Uh, 
playing the Savannah game. Oh yeah, the yeah, murder yeah, mystery. Yeah, yeah. Tamara. Tamara. Tamari. <laughs> I do declare. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I'm foghorn leghorn now. Yeah. Uh, that's at seven o'clock tomorrow. Uh, we're we're like a little over an hour here. Do you want to do bracketology? You want to save that for Thursday? We could do a little bit. We could touch a little bit on it. So some uh, I don't know random Carolina fan. His name is John. On Twitter, John. he's actually got like 450 followers. So maybe he's not that random. His his Twitter bio also says, "I'm a fun guy." So <laughs> I guess Audition 451 yeah. people agree. He tweeted at Joe Lenardi and said, "Is South Carolina making its way to the bubble?" Pretty legit question. Carolina's playing well at this point. Again, I should. I feel bad that we've said it this many times throughout the course of the podcast. It's just like everything is an asterisk. Depends on Manaya. Even without Manaya. I kind of expect South Carolina to be 8-3 and three in a week and a half. I expect them to beat Ole Miss. I expect them to beat A&M again, even though they've been playing a little bit better. And I expect them to beat Georgia. 8-3 and three and 16-8 and eight and kind of doing the same thing they did last year where it's like non-con, eh, a little bit rocky. Obviously, non-con this year, not as bad as non-con last year. And you have some of those marquee wins. I feel like that's a legitimate question. That's not being a ridiculous homer. That's it's no. a, a legitimate curiosity. And we're also in early February, where it's like, eh, I don't know, it's hard to tell. There's a crapshoot. There's a million different things that are going to happen between now and then uh, with South Carolina, not with South Carolina, that are going to help and prevent South Carolina from getting in the tournament. But Joe Lenardi, who's like the premier bracketologist for a lot of people, for the four-letter, responds, nope. Nope. Period. Nope. Now, part of me thinks, okay, like it's, that was, I don't know, that was 10 hours ago. So that was early in the morning on February 4th, February 3rd, whatever. Um, part of me is like, okay, there are so many hypotheticals. There's so many different ways this can go that I'm not going to play out all these hypotheticals. And Carolina is far enough away and have been inconsistent enough that I, Joe Lenardi, am not expecting Carolina to make the tournament. And I don't feel like typing all this out because I only get 280 characters. So I'm just going to say nope. nope. But I don't think that's entirely giving Carolina a fair shake. No, it's not. And does South Carolina have a lot of work to do? Yes. Uh, does South Carolina kind of, like we said, control its own destiny? Also, yes. You need to get... There's a small chance, but there is an avenue. If if the road the road to the tournament is not I-20 to Atlanta, that's not <laughs> what the road... To the, the tournament is like a backcountry road with like potholes and that floods when it rains. Yep, so they're detours. It's, navig- it's navigatable. Is that a word? Navigable. Navigable. I would say. Yeah, nav- navigable. That just doesn't really roll. You can navigate it. You can navigate it. It's to be navigated. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's going to be tough. Uh, you're at 13 wins right now. You probably need to go. You have 10 games left. If you go. 15 games left. If you go 8 and 7 and you finish it. Or five, 10 games left. You get 10 games left. Yeah. In oh, 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 regular yeah, yeah. season. Yeah, yeah. 10 games left. And you go. I mean, if you go 7 and 3. There's, and with a win in the conference tournament to get to 21 wins. 21 and 21 and 11, 21 and 12, because you'd have a loss in the conference tournament as well. Yeah. 21 and 12 with wins over Kentucky and Virginia. Virginia. Clemson. Arkansas. Arkansas. Um, that feels like possibly enough. enough to put you on the bubble. And again, Carolina could have a double bye. I mean, yeah. the SEC is super weird, and they have a favorable schedule for the like most part down the stretch. Right yeah. Yeah. So a double bye, like that one win in the SEC could be. Arkansas again, it could be Kentucky, it could be Florida, it could be another one of these teams. So obviously it remains to be seen. And and let's do it like this. So we'll go back a couple games. Vanderbilt, South Carolina was favored. Arkansas, they were an underdog. Missouri, they were favored. Ole Miss, they'll probably be a slight favorite. A&M at home, they'll be a favorite. 
at Georgia, I would imagine they'd be a slight underdog. favorite at home against. Oh, you think? I think they'd be an underdog just because on the road. This is on the road. Yeah, but it'll be close. It'll be within yeah, like yeah, yeah. A, a point or two either yeah. way. Uh, at home against Tennessee, they will be a favorite. At Mississippi State, they'll be probably a pretty heavy underdog. Yeah. If Mississippi State keeps playing as well as they are, LSU at home, you'll you're going to be a significant underdog in that. Georgia at home, you're going to be favored. Alabama, you're probably going to be a slight underdog on the road. Mississippi State at home, you're probably going to be an underdog. And Vanderbilt, you're going to be a favorite. So that's, what, three games where you're going to be a significant underdog and two where you might be a slight underdog and yeah. at Alabama and at Georgia. So you basically need to, I don't know. I mean, Carolina could still go 6-4 and four in their last 10, lose four out of those five toss-up games, and still win a game or two in the tournament and be in the conversation. Yeah, no, I think that if you get to 18 wins... That would put you at 18, 18 regular season wins. That would mean going six and four down the stretch. You're eighteen and twelve. Or that'd be that'd be nineteen and twelve. Yeah, nineteen and twelve. And eight. Yeah, 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 nineteen and twelve. So six and four, nineteen um, and twelve. Yeah, that puts you in the NIT probably. Especially, if they want to play in it. <laughs> yeah, which I think Frank would take that. It's postseason, so yeah. that puts you in the that puts you in the NIT. So, uh, yeah, there's it's very navigable, navigable. To get to the tournament now it's so it's not nope it's not nope <laughs> it, it is not point blank nope. nope uh so do they have a lot of chances left for like wow what a great win for south carolina not as many as they had in the first eight games no but like a mississippi state win would be great oh huge lsu you get LSU home, would be huge you have that would be tremendous i'm looking at my fan, fancy little google sheet that i always update um you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games of your final ten against net top one hundred teams. Good, not great. Um, of those seven, one, two, three, four, four are against top fifty teams, mm-hmm. which is what you need. If right. you split those four and get two more top fifty wins, two top fifty losses, you feel and and. Maybe one on the road. Ole Miss is just inside the top 100. Are they like 90? They are 111. Oh, shoot. They're 111. Yeah, but it's on the road, them. and the road wins are weighted a little bit more. Okay. All right, so, so maybe it would it would effectively be a top 100? Could be, yeah. yeah could um, be. We'll see. But um, you feel pretty good about... right? If you're South Carolina right now, and, and your winners are your last three, and you just went on the road to beat Arkansas, and you're top 75 in the net currently, you feel pretty darn good about where you are right now. Yeah. You know, you pull off... You, there's a very real chance, very real chance, um, that they could be going into the Tennessee game at home, winners of one, two, three, four, five, six, six straight games. And there's a slimmer but also real chance they could be heading to Starkville with a seven-game win streak. Yeah, and nine and, and three in conference. And nine and three in the conference. That's, I don't know. I, I'm... Obviously not personally offended by this because I don't I don't care I don't have any emotional investment it just seemed kind of funny and like I said it probably was more of I don't feel like writing all this out because the season is still you know young a lot is going to happen and Carolina is still and they're not behind the eight ball but they're not exactly in pole position yeah they Um, can't afford to just go on like a two or three game losing streak no I mean that that would kill their season now the reason that I even saw this tweet is because Ray Finkel tagged me on Twitter and. His response, uh, Finkel, who, uh, that's uh, also Einhorn, for those of you that were wondering. And uh, Heath Klein weighed in because he also tagged Heath and said, Joe's thoughts on the matter are irrelevant. Palm is the better bracket guy and has been for years, but neither of them is going to say that until they're close to the bubble. Uh, neither are going to say that they're close to the bubble until the net is in at least the 50s 
and they're what seventy three or something right now. Is Carolina in the net? Seventy seventy four. Four. Okay. All right. But it's on. weird. Like, and and shout out to Andrew Ramsbacker for looking up the stat. I want to say like St. Joe's or St. John's or somebody made it in like the seventies last year. Hmm. Um. So, let me see if I can find it. So it wouldn't be unprecedented. It wouldn't be unprecedented, but I don't like the net. I really don't like the net, mm-hmm. but it's what they use. So, yeah. and and it's one of those things too, where it's like, you're going to need to feel confident in a lot of different things. Um, I'm trying to find this stat now. So I'm scrolling through Twitter. <laughs> uh, bah, bah, bah. Great podcast right here. Um <laughs> We'll get you to break down the net too, and your thoughts yeah. on it, and why it's broken here in the coming weeks as we it's so talk stupid. a little more bracketology. It's dumb, is what it is. Yeah, Will Helms doesn't like it either. I saw him yeah. complaining very, about very it, a, which is reasonable. I don't understand it well enough to to have a strong opinion about it, so I'm I'm eager to get your take on it. It's there's a lot of things that are wrong with the net. Yeah, um, efficiency numbers can skew things, mm-hmm. and um, whatever. So. Yeah, but we'll save it. Yes. Um, do you get scrolling. it? I'm still okay. scrolling. Calm down. <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. There's, there's Nack Nathan again with. I'm, I'm back to his Missouri. He's um, he's killing it. He's got dude, so many different shirts, and it's working. It is. It's work. Shout it out if you're working. listening to the podcast. Congratulations. It, the only game it didn't work was Auburn, but he started doing. I guess he started doing it in the Auburn game. But he's three yeah. and three, three for three now, yes. including that Arkansas game. That was a big one. That was a big one for Carolina. Um, I'm gonna vamp while you're still looking for that. Carolina's playing Ole Miss tomorrow at seven. Con and I will be back on Thursday to discuss that. And then South Carolina's homestand against Texas A&M. That's uh, going to be 1 o'clock Saturday. And like I said, we are going to get a little bit more into bracketology as it becomes a little more relevant, including Colin's thoughts on the net, why it's broken, and what South Carolina's going to have to do to get into the tournament. And I guess we're not going to be asking Joe Lenardi about it because he doesn't want to explain himself. Joe Lenardi hates South Carolina is what you can I mean, that's, I'm just kidding. I'm just that's kidding. a fact. That is a just fact. No, but look, I, I, Joe, if you're listening to this because I know you're an avid listener of the hard foul, don't take it personally. I understand. Sometimes I do that too, where I don't feel like typing out a whole response, and so I just am uh, am curt. Well, but normally I'm like curt and positive, or like curt and lighthearted. Not unless you're sarcastic with me. I'm usually pretty good about that. Too. <laughs> yeah, I don't respond well to sarcasm. And, yeah. Uh, so I found the tweet. Okay, there you this go. is from A. Ramsbacker, who is a great basketball reporter at the State newspaper. You should read his stuff and read it quickly. Um because he is a very, very good writer. St. John's received an at-large bid last year's at, to last year's NCAA tournament with a net ranking of 73, which is South Carolina's one spot below that. NC State and Clemson, NC State was at 33 and Clemson was at 35, were left out, so there's no real magic number here. But the Gamecocks are trending in a good direction. There you go. It's accurate. Cool. Yeah. Well, they want to keep those hopes alive. Got to win against Ole Miss. Win. Slight favorite. Keep winning. We'll be back Thursday. Thank you all for listening. Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, everything else on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. For Colin, I'm Pearson. Y'all enjoy the game. We'll talk to you Thursday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.